When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. We are recording this just a few hours prior to the biggest game in world football, so you may notice an air of um, respectful politeness uh, <laughs> going on throughout the show. Um, and I'll start by saying, Mr Maguire, how are you? Where are you? Are you well? Um, I'm in sunny Sussex. I'm, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm full of trepidation, like I suspect we both are. Um, it, it's, it's not about winning, it's about not losing. As far as this match is concerned, isn't well, it? I'll take that now. If you want to shake hands on not losing now, if we could both let both managers know, that'll be fine. Um, I don't understand. I was in a conversation with a Brighton fan yesterday, and he said they've been researching the last time they scored an own goal. He said that's the only way we're going to score. Yeah. <laughs> but I understand you're having a nice civilized meeting with one of our um, uh, one of the fans of our pods today, aren't you? Before the game. Yes, yes, I am. Yeah, and, it, and that's 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 how it should be. But, you know, before and after, we can get on like a house on fire, and then for ninety minutes, uh, we, we sort of descend into uh, into the Warriors. That that fantastic film from the seventies. Yeah, indeed. And the the good news is, I won't name him, but everybody will know who he is. The Palace fan that you're meeting is also a big fan of the beetroot and egg white cocktail. Um, <laughs> He's a proper lobby. Yeah, luckily, Kieran, we, we won't have time to talk about the biggest game in the world happening tonight. So we have got, I don't know what's in the water at the moment. There seems to be more news than you know, the old cliche. There's always just enough news to fill a newspaper. Um, but we seem to have more news than we normally yes. have. Um, and the first bit, before I forget, news is that we have another interview coming up for you all tomorrow, as it will be when you listen to this. We spoke to Mark Ives, general manager of the National League. Um, a very interesting interview it was. Mark was very open about the fuss about the distribution of the national lottery money. He's very open about two up, two down, whether or not it's coming, about the Hollywood effect. So if you have any interest in football or indeed the National League, I suggest you listen to that when it's out tomorrow. In the meantime, Kieran, in, in real news, as no one's ever said on ITV News at 10, Two clubs at opposite ends of the championship are united with a common misfortune. Yes, um, the EFL has uh, yeah, the, the guys there definitely put the uh, the underpants on over their trousers uh, and and are handing out uh, naughty step uh, activities left, right, and centre. So we've now got four clubs 
in the EFL Championship, which are subject to embargoes. Um, and, and the two latest additions are Huddersfield Town and Burnley. And, and the reason for this, and the EFL handbook, which um, is is very thorough, I'll say no more than that, um, uh, does specifically state that you have to have handed in your accounts to the EFL, even if you've not published them on the club website, even if you've not published them um, at Company's House, you have to submit them to the EFL by a deadline of the 1st of March. Failure to do so can invoke sanctions. And um, it, it would appear that both Burnley and Huddersfield Town have failed to do so. Now, as always, um, you, you have to sort of say, well, there's two sides to every story. Burnley say that they changed their auditors in November and therefore they've not had a chance to get the accounts out. I, I have an element of sympathy with that because if you if, if you do change the auditors, the auditors themselves, yeah, they've got a timetable for the work which they're due to undertake. So it could be that it's just simply taken too long to get the account sorted. But um they, they they do need to get their their act together, um, and also, you know, Burnley are under a little bit of additional scrutiny because of the leveraged buyout uh, way in which the club was acquired by um, Alan Pace and and his colleagues. Um, you know, my personal view is that Burnley are in a very strong position financially. Uh, I've, I've said on many occasions that. During the period of the previous ownership, they were probably one of the best-run clubs, if not the best-run club financially in the Premier League. Um, they have sold a load of players since being relegated, um, and, and that's generated extra cash. Uh, you know, my understanding is that there are relegation clauses in contracts as well, which will further protect the club. So I don't see it as being a financial issue, um, and therefore uh, it all the more strange that the club has not got round to publishing the accounts. Um, so so I think it's just a, an administrative issue. In relation to Huddersfield Town, I think things are slightly more complicated. There, there was a takeover a few years ago um, when, when Dean Hoyle, uh, who had originally uh, taken the club up to the Premier League, his, his health was, was a prime concern for him. So he sold the club, the new owner, things didn't work out too well. Dean Hoyle has come back. I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of fog at Huddersfield, and uh, this this probably isn't helping. But as far as the transfer embargo itself is concerned, to a certain extent, it's it's a token punishment given that we you know, the transfer window um, doesn't open for a few more months. Um, I'm pretty confident that Burnley will not have. Uh, have to worry about the opening of the window. I suspect Burnley's issue will be cleared up very quickly. Um, I'm I'm slightly less confident with regards to Huddersfield because there, there does seem to be some um, conf- confrontation. There seems to be some uh, some confusion in relation to uh, the ownership uh, in terms of decision making, and it's something which needs to be resolved um, sooner rather than later. And as you rightly say, Huddersfield are, are not having a good season. Um, as far as their their on field performance is concerned, and with uh, yeah with with the end of parachute payments uh, and you know, a potential drop into League One, that would be quite a significant financial jolt for the club to have to deal with. Just a couple of things they occurring off the back of that. So Burnley basically being punished for late filing of accounts 
the sort of thing that happens in the Premier League uh, by most clubs. And also you're saying, I mean, you mentioned the EFL putting their Superman pants on. It does seem, anecdotally, that the EFL are being tougher than they have been in previous months and years. Is that right or is that a false perception? No, I, I think uh, since Trevor Birch arrived, and you know, we've we've had Trevor Birch on the show, we've met Trevor. Um, he is from a background a of uh, running a football club. You know, he, he was the chief exec at, at Chelsea when Roman Abramovich arrived, uh, by all accounts. Um, he also uh, is uh, an insolvency practitioner uh, again historically. So therefore, he he knows the importance of cash. He knows the importance of being able to monitor uh, financial activity um, without having to look too far in the rearview mirror. You know, the, the, the longer the longer it takes a club to submit information, the the less valuable is is the information there. So um, the EFL have also recruited staff. I, I was on I was on a panel with uh, our, our friend Nick DeMarco and somebody from the EFL's sort of financial review panel last week. This was at a um, a, a law event and. It's very clear that they they take their responsibilities seriously, and they they are holding clubs to account. And I think that's to be welcomed from from the point of view of us as fans, because we don't want another Berry, we don't want another Macclesfield, and um, the ability to hold clubs to account to to ensure that they know that they are being watched if they, if they fail to comply with the rules, I think sends out the right type of signal. And why then are the Premier League much more sanguine about late filing of accounts than the EFL clearly are? Well, um, I think the Premier League do have their own set of rules. And remember, we talk about late filing of accounts. There's there's submitting accounts to the EFL and the Premier League, and then there's submitting the accounts to Companies House. Now, the two things are separated. One is determined by company law, um, and that's the, the company's uh, house issues, and the, and the other is determined by the individual constitutions of the entity. So as far as I'm aware, um, clubs have submitted the details in the Premier League, and I think we've still got that same deadline, except the, the Premier League has not had to go to the extent of um, expressing disappointment with those clubs who've, who've failed to submit, because I think they have all been sent in. Um, what is a, I think annoying for for fans? You know, we 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 eat and breathe all aspects of our football clubs, and you know, a lot of me says actually, as a football fan, I shouldn't really have to give a damn about you know the the submission of the club accounts. It has become you know, and, and we're sort of at you know we're at the sort of the centre of this storm to a certain extent ourselves. You think about yeah, you know, we we never expected. This this podcast to um, have any form of success, and we're still slightly bewildered by it. But it, the 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 revealing of a set of club accounts, it's now become a bit like when when a club announces a kit. You know, everybody has an opinion <laughs> on them, yeah. um, and uh, you know, just like you know, when when the kit, when the kit is launched, uh, we you know, grown men go into full Trini and Susanna mode for twenty four hours. Equally, they become financial experts for 24 hours. And then, you know, just like all aspects of things, we, we move on to something else. But um, I think it is frustrating for for those fans of those clubs who, who take the approach of either giving out snippets of information or 
delaying and delaying and delaying right until the very last minute until until they actually do publish. Uh, yeah, just, just get it out. And actually, what you will find is your competitors gain no advantage whatsoever. I'll, I'll be perfectly frank um, when, when they do see the accounts coming out, because again, you're, you're looking at something relating to a year ago and, and it just shuts people up, especially me. And I think that's, that's quite a good thing. I like the idea of the, a club issuing their first accounts and then their brand new second accounts and, <laughs> yes. and the third accounts as well. Um, a, a process I believe Uncle Terry used to be very fond of. And, uh, the, um, those noises you can hear in the background, by the way, are my son trying to be quiet, God bless him. Um, or why he thinks microwaving his coffee would be quieter than boiling the kettle, I don't know. Um, interesting though, Kieran, I, I, it's... I would point people towards our interview with Mark Ives tomorrow because he's very interesting about the way that the National League monitor their clubs on a monthly basis, which I won't give away now. We'll talk about that afterwards, but it's that's certainly something I didn't know, and that's something we'll yes. talk about in more detail tomorrow. Now, we've ascertained on this pod, Kieran, over the years that um, EasyJet and or Ryanair have probably made a lot of money on flights <laughs> between Watford and Udine uh, over the years because Watford and Udinese have um, the well-travelled path between them. There's, there's been a slight, um, shall we say, a bit of turbulence on, on one of the flights between those two towns? Yes. Um, this was a story we did speak about uh, last August. It uh, is uh, the story of Hassan Kamara. In January 2022, when Watford were in the Premier League, he was acquired for £3.6 million. He, he made a positive impression. I think he became player of the season, although there wasn't a lot of competition by all accounts, um, given that even, even one of the Watford players themselves accused some other members of the squad of effectively downing tools. So, um, so Watford were relegated to the championship. And then in August 2022, they sold um, Hassan Kamara, um, who'd only been there for yeah, about 25 games. They sold him to Udinese for £16.9 million. Pounds. Uh, now, Udinese, for those people are not familiar with the case, Udinese is owned by the Pozzo family. And Watford are owned by the Pozzo family, but different members. I think it's a, a sort of a father and son relationship. Um, and then um, Hassan Kamara was immediately loaned back to um, Watford. Now, we don't know the extent of the loan fee, um, but uh, the EFL, by all accounts, is now, again, in investigating this uh, particular deal uh, in respect of, uh, is it at fair value? Uh, because... Um, it, it does seem you know, a significant increase. Um, it's difficult to see the, the the benefit in Watford selling the player and then loaning them back. Now, if we actually take a look at Udinese themselves, um, they sold their left back, Destiny Udogi, to Spurs at around about the same time. And then Spurs loaned Destiny Udogi straight back to Udinese. So... This type of thing does take place on a regular basis. So you know, we have to have a, a broader analysis. Um, and I would imagine that Destiny Odogi is going to be potentially the first choice left back. Um, and therefore, you've got to wonder what was the logic behind uh, you know, Watford selling the player. And it could be argued that 
effectively what Udinese are doing is they're getting the the, the benefit of, of the player they've sold to Spurs and they want to make, ensure that Hassan Kamara is getting regular first-team football. Um, we've now seen, however, I think it's around about 60 transfers between uh, Watford and Udinese since, um, since the Pozzo family uh, bought... Uh, Bought, bought Watford, I think it was in 2012, um, from our our very good friend, Lawrence Bassini, who uh, has promised to come on the show one day. Um, I think he said he was, as soon, soon as he's finished the, the acquisition of Birmingham City, he'll, he is coming on. Sorry, Kieran, I was just um, distracted by that large pig flying over my back garden. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, we, we, we'll hold him to it. Um, so... This, this this does bring into uh, focus the the multi club ownership issues, um, which are uh, in- increasingly being uh, part of modern day football. Um, and you know, look, I, I support Brighton. Our owner Tony Bloom. He also owns uh, you know Unions at Saint Galois uh, in Belgium. There are there are transfers between those two clubs. You know, we've we've recruited players and, and then put them out on loan. And you know the idea there is is either for them to to earn GBE points, governing body endorsement points, or um, that the feeling is that players not quite ready for first team in the Premier League, and, and that they want to be able to monitor the player that much closely, much more closely before bringing him back to the mothership. So um, this story in isolation is is not a huge issue. I think the fact that the EFL are Looking at the value of the player, and, and I think here we, we we have a we have a genuine. It's not to say it's a problem, but it's what what is the value of a football player? You know, it, it's you know one one man's Banksy is another man's you know yeah you know, what what's that crap on that wall over there? And trying to find a definitive value in respect of a football player. And, and Watford said, well, yeah, Udinese had the player independently valued um, in Italy because. They didn't want to fall into the trap that we've seen with uh, Juventus and some other clubs who have ended up with, you know, in the case of Juventus, a points deduction um, in respect of a, a number of issues to do with player sales and uh, effectively a, a glorified ring of roses when it when it comes to moving players around between clubs. Uh, all roads tend to come back to FFP on this podcast. So I presume that's why the EFL are investigating a price that may have may have been superficially inflated. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, I, 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 when I look at Watford's accounts, I don't see anything major that should trouble the scorers as far as FFP is concerned. But at the same time, uh, it, it could be from a it could help a cash flow issue. Uh, Watford have taken out an awful lot of loans. Um, Udinese could have therefore transferred cash across to, to Watford, which would have allowed them to to, to compete more in the in, in the summer. 22 uh, market, uh, but I, I don't personally see a huge issue with regards to Watford and FFP compliance. Um, but as always, the devil's in the detail. Yeah, I, I think I keep meaning to say artificially inflated. I don't know why I keep saying superficially inflated, except I, I work in showbiz, so the word superficial comes to mind more easily than the word <laughs> artificial. Um, I just we're only two stories in, Kieran, and we're 18 minutes down. Um, I, I know Kieran, these have been dark times for fans of Real Madrid and Chelsea, haven't they? I mean, these are your heart can only go out to both of them, and I, I hope I hope comment relief are aware that Chelsea fans and Real Madrid fans are having a difficult time. But there's <laughs> there's some good news for them coming up, Kieran. 
in 2025. Yes, uh, Chelsea and Real Madrid are guaranteed a place in the much looked forward to FIFA Club World Cup with 32 clubs in 2025. Now, as far as... This is an actual tournament. In case young people are confused, this is not an EA game coming up, is it? (laughs) It's an actual tournament, isn't it? It is an actual tournament. Yes, it's... uh, Real Madrid have just won the competition. And and remember, Chelsea were the previous holders. Um, But historically, it's been in respect of around about six or seven clubs. Um, FIFA are looking to plug the gap in their own finances. FIFA make 75% of of their money in any four-year cycle from the FIFA World Cup itself. Um, And we'll be coming to that shortly. Uh, And therefore, they are are quite envious of UEFA because UEFA makes a huge amount of money every single year because of the Champions League, the Europa League and the Europa Conference. And once every four years, it makes money from the um, Euros, and then we also have the Nations League, which I think it's fair to say hasn't quite captivated the the, the fan bases yet. You know, it's it's the equivalent of the Confederations Cup, um, and anybody who can remind me who's won the Confederations Cup, um, I'll, I'll send them something nice. If not that I care. I yeah, actually, I, so, I, if I was a lesser man, I'd be googling that now. But I don't. Yeah, I, I, I have the same level of care as you do. Spain, Spain. I'm going to go Spain. All right, could be, could be. Um, but the the new competition it's going to have 32 clubs. And you know, why are we interested in it on the price of football? It's because um, it looks like the participants are going to be guaranteed 25 million pounds i.e. the rich are going to get richer, which is uh, something we don't always feel particularly comfortable about. Um, So as far as the participation is concerned, um, there's going to be 12 clubs from UEFA, which will be the four Champions League winners over the four-year cycle, plus eight clubs based on their UEFA coefficient. So this is how well have you performed over the, the last four years, um, of which there will be a maximum of two uh, two clubs from any one country. So you, you could easily have four Premier League clubs, for example, in this competition. Let's say that you know, Manchester City win the, the Champions League or Liverpool or Manchester United. So we could have, you know, we could have two or three clubs could, could win the Champions League in a four-year cycle, and then potentially you can pick up two more from from the UEFA coefficient. Um, so, so that was going to be twelve from uh, UEFA, and this will allow a greater participation because historically it has been too much emphasis. Uh, it has been argued on European, South American yeah, clubs yeah, yeah. participating. So, Kieran, the actual format of the tournament is this going to take place? Uh, a la World Cup over a period of a week, or are these games going to be spread out during the season in 2025? Well, I think this is something which which does need to be addressed. Um, it, it would presumably have to be split up because they have to get 32 clubs down to a final. Um, you know, is, is it going to be a knockout? Is it going to be a group? Um, is, is a little bit unclear. I think what FIFA are also planning to do is the the current um, international window 
um, they're going to try to cram four claims into the window as opposed to two uh, by expanding the window slightly. So there's there, there's lots of pieces shuffling around. Um, it does appear that FIFA and the clubs seem quite keen on this. As, as usual, nobody, nobody seems to have asked the players. Um, and, yeah, we, we have had the, the, the Winter World Cup. Oh, sorry, winter in Europe. Well, yeah, we, I, should, I, have to, I have to get myself correct with regards to that. Um, and talking to people at clubs, they've said that there has been uh, complications trying to reintegrate players into the tournament uh, following a four-week break, and um, it, it's less than ideal. So this could result in either some form of suspension of football, which I, which I think will be unlikely uh, or it could mean that that some clubs could effectively end up playing in not only the Champions League but this competition as well plus the Premier League plus the FA Cup and plus the um plus the Carabao Cup um which I think is a further indication that the Carabao Cup is not going to survive in its present form thank you for putting it like that Kieran You've given people a couple of seasons to prepare themselves for the inevitable demise. I mean, you mentioned winter in Europe. That's the problem with this with this tournament is that there there will inevitably be teams playing outside their normal league period, won't there? If you've got teams from mm. five continents, six continents, whoever I don't know how many there are these days. It seems to have changed. Watching pointless the other day, um, but so did. Uh, again, what happens is FIFA come up with a way of making money and then try and cram the format into that afterwards. Isn't they? And speaking of more games, the next World Cup, I, 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 I don't know about you, Kieran, I was perfectly happy with the number of games at the last World Cup. But oh, I've got more to watch at the next World Cup. You, you have indeed. There was an agreement that there would be 48 teams in the next FIFA World Cup for 2026. And part of me thinks, actually, that that is quite good because um, it does give the opportunity for for those clubs that are not appearing on a regular basis um, to to get there. And you've only got to see the reaction of fans from uh, you know, those countries, you know, the, the likes of Ecuador and so on, that, that don't make a regular appearance. Um, they, they have an absolutely fantastic time, and they, they shouldn't be denied that. So expanding the World Cup, I, I know there's a bit of sniffiness about it, but um, there is there is a potential positive as well, um, and no, nobody forces you to, to watch the matches. But um, what has happened, and again, part of me thinks this is good. Originally, the plan was to have sixteen groups yeah, of three. Sixteen groups, Gary. Sixteen groups. Yes, you and I can both remember when there were sixteen teams yep. in a World Cup. Yep. Let alone sixteen groups. Um, but has been as as has been pointed out, this means that. You can't have matches taking place simultaneously. And part of the sheer joy of the the World Cup that we've just seen in Qatar is those matches, which are the, the final matches, where things are changing by the minute. And that jeopardy, that tension, is part of the brilliance of football. Going into a scenario where... You could have two clubs, both knowing that a nil-nil draw will take them through to the to the knockout phase, is full of jeopardy, yeah. and we're fully aware of um, West Germany, Austria accusations. Yeah. Yes, um, so therefore, by switching to twelve groups of four, that does mean we will be able to uh, 
have the the, the tension that, that that brings. It also means that those countries, those players that have you know slept halfway across the world to to attend the World Cup, they they get more than two matches. Yeah, yeah which which does yeah, seem yeah. again. I, I, I've got an element of sympathy. So it looks like there's going to be 104 games in total. Um, and this could mean up to six games in a single day, which means you're going to have three three sets of kickoffs or more. Um, and the thing that concerns me here, because I think we, we have to be consistent, there was a lot of concern about the World Cup in Qatar with regards to it can't take place during the summer due to the weather. Well, We've got the next World Cup taking place in Mexico, the United States, and Canada. Um, anybody that's ever been to some of the southern states of the US, anybody that's you know, been to Mexico in June, you do not want to be you do not want to be running twelve or thirteen kilometers at midday, one pm or two pm. And and this is this is my concern is that there will not be the same level of uh, scrutiny and concern for players' welfare. Um, you and I both remember the the World Cup in 1994, um, where Ireland got to knockout phase. Um, you know, the, it, it, it's not good for a for a, a Western European uh, or Northern Western European uh, complexion uh, to to be uh, playing at, at, in those temperatures uh, because it's it's lack of familiarity. So. You know, will there be the same level of fuss? I suspect not. Why is FIFA doing this? Well, yeah, this is the price of football. It's because the TV rights values will go up. Uh, it, and and I'm sure the tournament on many levels will be a success. Um, will the players be given any consultation with regards to this? I think we both know the answer to that. I, I hope that these rumours of the reversion to 14 groups are true. Uh, and if they are, I suspect it's because we saw in the last World Cup here, um, teams like Saudi Arabia are not the pushovers they would have once would have been considered. There, were, there weren't many groups in the last World Cup where somebody was cut adrift. Most teams mm. still had some element of, of being able to qualify after one game or, or two games, which we haven't seen for a long time. So I think, I hope that's why FIFA champ, the, the free team group was a shocking idea. All, all the way yes. through. It's really ill fought through. Um, West Brom fans, Kieran, are people we've spoken to on this pod uh, on several occasions, uh, both through messages and through interviews, and they continue their laudable and peaceful attempts uh, to get a new club owner. Yes, so so there was a. They just had a fans match at the most recent game, and uh, yeah, we've had Alistair on the show, and I think what he's doing is. Uh, you know, I, I, he's, I, he and I are in regular contact. It has to be, you know, for the sake of transparency. Um, what he's doing is he's putting twenty four seven. It's become a real passion project, but it's non violent direct action, and that is the the way to do it. To do it with humour, to do it with um, good grace, and that becomes more photogenic because it means you know the the media will be able to report. Um, the action. So, so there was a fans march with regards to the dissatisfaction with owner Gauchen Lai, who who borrowed. Um, and we're recording this on the fifteenth of March. I think he actually borrowed the money on the fifteenth of March, twenty twenty one. So it's now two years. He borrowed four point nine five million pounds, which was due to be repaid along with 
£50,000 in interest. That's a remarkably low interest rate, by the way, for an 18-month loan. It was due to be paid on the 15th of September 2022. That deadline came and went. It was then due to be paid by the 31st of December 22 to allow the manager to invest in in the uh, transfer market in January. That deadline came and went. And we are now being told that it is early 2023 that the money will be repaid. Well, it's now two years and it hasn't been. Um, there's the issue of the the other loan to to Jeremy Peace, which I think was transferred to Gao Chunlai when he acquired the club. There's no evidence of that being repaid as well. Um, so keep keeping the pressure up. Um, I think there is now dialogue and liaison between the club, um, between Ron Gourlay, who's who's the chief exec, and and some of the fans who who are expressing their their worry um, with regards to. Is this money ever going to be repaid? And I, I think by by taking the approach that they have done, which is to to use a variety of methods, um, it is a way of creating embarrassment for the owner. And uh, you know that is one way of of keeping the pressure on and trying to uh, encourage uh, Gao Chun Lai to to do the best thing. And the best thing consists of two elements: a uh, repaying the loan, and b selling the club to somebody who actually gives a damn about West Bromwich Albion. Yeah, the, the, the problem there, and it, it's good that communication has been established between the fans and the chief exec, but we said that around about the 3rd of January, the last time we spoke mm. about this, and the chief exec is not the owner, is it? And, and, and you know, they say early 23, we're getting past the stage that it's early 23 already. Um, yeah. So it's, it's one that we need to keep an eye on, and it's one that... It's a level of protest that Wigan fans might have to look at adopting. I don't know how many more times I can say this, Kieran, without it becoming really serious. But I, this is—it seems to me the fifth or sixth time I've said this. But Wigan Athletic have paid their wages late again. Yes, um, and remember, we, we're all absolutely delighted that Wigan came out of administration. Um, and it did appear that uh, they have a Bahrain-based owner, based owner, who was uh, a prepared to buy the club, and and b uh, you know Wigan were promoted last season, so that, you know, it was it was actually you know, a, a lot of good news to come out of the club. Um, but they lost seven million pounds in League One, by the way, as far as their finances are concerned. But we are now uh, since uh, since June, we have now had four uh, late payments of wages. And um, they they started off with the ridiculous, and I think they're trying to become a little bit more sublime in, in their comments. First of all, they 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 blamed the late payment of wages on the Queen's Jubilee, um, which which I found somewhat strange myself, given that everybody knew when the Queen's Jubilee was going to take place, everybody knew when the public holidays were going to take place, and also I'm pretty certain that being able to transfer money internationally isn't actually determined by the Queen's Jubilee. So therefore, it does seem, uh, that seemed a bit uh, incongruous. Secondly, it was blamed on foreign banks, Kevin. <laughs> not not just banks, but but foreign banks. Those, you know, you, you those can... foreign banks, the, the sort of foreign bank that dive in the penalty area and con the ref, those sort of foreign <laughs> banks. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, 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 can see, I can see Nigel Farage preening himself uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. as soon as the mention of foreign banks takes place. Um, so, so that that was uh, okay. Well, well, I'm pretty certain. You know, I'm I'm 
I'm, I might bank with Santander or I might bank with HSBC. And they're foreign banks, and I've never actually found them to be too much of a problem. So uh, that was uh, that was a bit strange. And, and now, you know, four occasions in, what, 10 months. And, and now they're actually saying it's liquidity issues. Now, liquidity issues means we don't have any cash. Okay, so let's let's, uh, which are promptly being resolved. Well, instead of promptly being resolved, if if you know that you're not going to have any cash and you've got a rich owner, the rich owner simply puts the money into the club bank account a few days before payday, and everything is resolved in that way. So um, it it looks poor. Um, I think there there is again the potential here for action by the EFL uh, because we can have. Uh, effectively breach rules. You know, what we don't want is um, scenarios of, of players taking the view that, well, you know, we we are uh, uh, we are elite athletes. We we are in demand elsewhere, and potentially doing what, what we saw with Southend United uh, a week or two ago of the player saying, I, "I'm I'm going to put my my personal circumstances first because I feel a sense of unease with the owners because." They can't be trusted to pay me the wages on time, which is, which is perfectly understandable. And you know, and anybody that, that works for any organisation, um, if, if I'd not been paid four times in ten months uh, on time, I'd simply be looking for another job. And I suspect many other many other people will be doing exactly the same. Well, this is the problem, Kieran, isn't it? It's it's. I don't want to paraphrase Oscar Wilde because I don't want to be flippant about it. But to not pay the wages once could be considered misfortune but to not pay it four times Kieran is and the fact is that these people so that's basically that's every two months essentially these people have to go to their bank and say I'm sorry I'm going to be struggling to pay my overdraft this this month or they're struggling to pay you know energy bills are through the roof people are worried enough as it is without thinking this could go on every every two months and we started the show by talking about the EFL um, getting tough and rightly so but Four times, Kieran, and it seems that mm. no one's stepping in to do anything about it. I can't. For me, it's it's the ultimate sin that you don't pay people. People who aren't paid that well in the first place, not leave the players aside, but people around yes. the club who aren't paid that well in the first place, most of whom are probably Wigan fans, not to be paid four times in ten months, and with these pathetic excuses, it's just outrageous. Yes. Yeah. So. Um... You know, my my concerns are with, as you rightly said, it's with the back office staff. Of Football clubs do not pay good wages. Um, they they rely on uh, local people, often many of whom have uh, an emotional attachment to the club, and um, you know they're not terribly paid, but they're not yeah, they're certainly not market leaders. Um, and and to treat them on in such a manner on a regular basis uh, is is fairly contemptuous of the club. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights Stuart Dredge on the Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, 
This is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. You mentioned Southend fans, Kieran, mm. who probably have been in a good mood for the last couple of weeks after they managed to stay on the tightrope yet again. But it seems to me that somebody might be trading on their goodwill a little bit too much this week, Kieran. Yes. Um, Southend United have just announced their season card. Now, let's face it, Kevin, there's no such thing as a season card. It's a season ticket. It always will be, yeah. Um, But they've announced their their season card uh, prices for next year. If you're an early bird, you can can look forward to a 15% increase. And if you are a regular fan... A twenty nine percent increase on what what you paid this season. Is there an economic term for cheeky bastard? Is there a financial term that you can use that producer guy won't get upset about? Because really, I mean that is. And then uh, yeah, carry on, Kieran. I'll just I'll just bear. Yes, I really do. Um, and match day prices are going up too. And 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 I, and I just I like the sheer chance bar that was involved here. Um, Match day prices are going up because we want to ensure that they don't look too cheap compared to season ticket prices. Okay, okay. I think there's a solution to this, guys. Yeah, yeah. I think there's a solution to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's it's three hundred and forty pounds for an early bird and three hundred and eighty pounds for a regular. And the club say, well, you know, it works out as you know between fourteen and fifty quid if you got your early bird. But remember, we are talking about Southend United. Um, you're asking people in March, to put in a substantial amount of money to support a football club that has been subject to a series of winding up orders over the course of the last 12 months. A football club that has not published its accounts for the last three to four years because the owner chooses not to do so. There's no excuse. He choose, Ultimately, it's Ron Martin's choice not to do so. So the Shrimpers Trust, which... Um, is is the fans organization it said well we've had no consultation with the club this has come completely out of the blue we are going to be talking to our members um, to see what their response is um we uh, we've been told by ron martin that he's willing to have a meeting with us as the trust but no fixed date so that doesn't really help and therefore they've effectively said yeah we do not recommend buying the season ticket um, under under those present set of circumstances, um, and if, if I just take one quote from the uh, the, the the Shrimpers forum, um, and it says, uh, uh, "I'm pretty sure we charged uh, around about that sum when we were pushing for the League One playoffs a few seasons back." Now, for the same price, you can watch an embargoed club put unpaid players on a pitch that's below par because the ground staff aren't paid and the poor woman serving you a pint at half time can just about afford the bus ride home as she hasn't been paid for two months. Oh, and you can urinate in the dark because the toilet lights don't work. Find find pigeon crap 10 metres from the food kiosk Tuesday last week in the East Blues Yellows and half the away end is condemned. Now, under those circumstances, would you hand across £380? You would think somebody who's put his fans through an existential crisis the way he has recently. And we discussed this, Kieran, and we, I don't care if we do sound dramatic. There would have been South End fans not sleeping the night before the, hmm. the potential winding up order. Many hundreds of them 
to put them through that and then to have the sheer gall, as you say, to do this. And, and I've seen what the South End fans are doing, and I think their response is magnificent. And I, I, I would, you know, I think we should try and get one of them on because we need to get mm. more detail in this story. And we need to get. It occurs to me that we've we've kind of looked at it from Ron Martin's angle for too long, and we need to talk to a a South End fan. Kieran, if if I was um. Yeah, let's face it. I'm a, a tubby, little middle-aged fellow now from from just outside Croydon. But if I was a Brazilian professional footballer playing my trade in the Premier League, I think I'd probably be quite a happy young man. But there's one this week that definitely isn't. Absolutely. So uh, step forward, Gustavo Scarpa. Uh, who is a player with Nottingham Forest, and uh, he's he's a Brazilian player. He played all of his career um, in in his home country before coming to Forest, um, but he uh, he's put around about one million pounds of of his earnings and savings into an organisation called WLJC, which will come as a great surprise is a cryptocurrency organisation. Um, it po- it promised high returns. Um, now, I. I'm from a finance background, and I always say to people, I'm not a financial advisor, but I always say to people, if it if it looks too good to be true, avoid, because there's nobody that can ultimately promise that they can outperform the market. So I think they were promised high returns. They were promised three to five percent a month. If you if you annualize that, you know, you're talking about a forty percent return. So I would have been very skeptical. It looks as if his money has has disappeared. He's tried now to uh, get some form of uh, legal redress, but it also sadly appears that he's not alone and that there's been some other Brazilian players from the likes of uh, Fluminense and Palmeiras who have equally fallen for this. And when when people um, have a go back, and, and to which they're perfectly entitled, and, and you know, all, all viewpoints are are welcome. When people have a go back, when I express my, my scepticism with regards to some of these organisations, um, the, we are dealing with people who are professional professional athletes. They they don't have um, an experience or of what is good or bad in in terms of financial integrity and therefore um as as Mike Tyson always used to say they've got a friend for every dollar and there are too many uh, fly by night organizations who are are simply there to to try to take advantage of these young men and uh it's it, it's depressing and it sadly it will continue um, because the the regulatory authorities, it's difficult for them because they end up playing whack a mole. These are not financially regulated organisations, and as I've said on many occasions, I have no problem with the fundamental principle of cryptocurrency. But I would always be very very cautious about putting any money into something which is unregulated, highly volatile and open to manipulation. Let me come back to that, Kieran. But first of all, let me apologise. The latest sound you can hear is the spin cycle of the washing machine, uh, which is actually my fault because uh, <laughs> I realised that Ali and her sister were coming back today and I panicked and put a load of washing in, forgetting that we had the pod to do. 
Um, <laughs> uh, the, the thing with the cryptocurrency, and I, I'm not trivialising at all the fact that this young man has lost uh, a million pounds. It's a lot of money for anybody. And also his family will suffer from that as well. And, and some of his friends who won't be getting the money that they thought they might be getting. But my issue with crypto is that he can af- he can afford, he could probably, let's say, afford to lose it. The fact is that the same cryptocurrency would have been luring, for want of a better word, people who can't afford to lose money into it as well. There would have, have been other people who earn a lot less than Gustavo Scarpa losing money in this. And that's my that's my issue, is that these, these companies glamorise it, lure you in and say, look, these, these players are buying it. Why don't you buy it? And, and it's... As you've always said, one of the things that's wrong with the education system in this country is that we don't get taught financial acumen from an early age. You know, I'm an intelligent chap in general. When it comes to money, I get bewildered. So there's a lot of people out there like me who are easily lured into these things, and that's my issue with cryptocurrency. Um, the next story, Kieran, I, I assumed when I've cast my eye over it, it was about Stockport FC, but it's not, is it? No, this is, uh, and I appreciate one of our one of our listeners put put me in contact with this or drew drew my attention to it. This is something called Stocks FC. Um, it looks as if somebody has taken Football Index, the uh, the stock market for football, and tipexed out the words Football Index and replaced it with Stocks FC. It describes itself as the football stock market. And remember, one of the things that I think Football Index claimed was that by uh, by having the word stock and market as separate words, it meant that it wasn't a stock market. Um, so let, let's take a look at let's take a look at some of the marketing for Stocks FC. Gives you the chance to assemble players, to watch your wealth grow to buy out-of-form players and sell later for a higher price and to invest in young wonder kids. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and it's run by blockchain. Um, if you do take a look at the uh, small print on the website, um, it does have a disclaimer right at the very end. Um, the, the Stocks FC white paper does not constitute any legal, financial, business, investment or tax advice. So why is it telling us to watch your wealth grow? Um, and it says you could consult your own professional advisors. Okay, I'm I'm not a professional financial advisor. Uh, if you think you're going to make money out of this, um, I would use um, one word, and that word is avoid. Because again, Kieran, consult your professional advisor. Most of the people these adverts are trying to lure in haven't got professional advisors. They no, haven't got the access no, and- to professional advisors. They, you know, they... I've got access to you, and I'm still marketing things up. But I, they, they haven't, yeah, not that I would get involved in anything remotely like this, but they, they haven't got professional advisors. They, they, they look at it and they go, oh, this is a bit of fun. This is a bit like fantasy football, but with a bit of money I could, I could make. And it's just not right. Yeah, yeah. And if it's marketed as um, fantasy football online, then, then great, fill your boots. But... When when then this type of wording appears, and what you will then have, you will have the uh, the bots or the crypto bros uh, going onto social media and saying, "Get in early because once this becomes big, everybody will be trying to buy your players from you, and this is how you make all your money." 
and, and it's um, yeah, we're not we're not saying it's a scam, just about, um, but it's something which makes me feel uh, is is the classic utilization of celebrity to to normalize. Uh, what is a very, very high risk, if you're going to look at it from a financial angle, from very, very high risk activity. Yeah, I'm coming across as a bit mardy today, and I'm going to go at a lot of people. Um, that will teach me to see how far into the week I can get without drinking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I almost, Kira, and looking through sober eyes, I, this this next story, I had, I had to rub, rub my sober eyes for a couple of seconds because I'm fairly certain it has the word good news and bury in the same sentence? Um, I, I think this is good news. Um, we we did express uh, yeah, our, our personal disappointment that the amalgamation of the, the two elements of the Berry fan base in, in AFC and the supporters society had fallen through because the, the two-thirds majority, which was required uh, by both organisations, wasn't achieved. Um, and there was also um, elements of glee um, expressed by by those members of the supporters society who had voted against the, the coming together. However, um, progress has been made, and um, the people who have been working behind the scenes uh, at the FA um, and other organisations who uh, I'm, I won't mention, but, but they know who they are, and, and you have my. Uh, utmost uh, doffing of cap here um, have have managed to get uh, the I think the people in charge of the supporters society to to reconsider um, bec- and and the reason for this and, it, and if, if you go on to the supporters society uh, website uh, it is quite blunt um, under the present scenario there won't be a football team playing football at Gig Lane. Um, there's a potential to lose an awful lot of money, which has been promised by the local council um, from the Department of Leveling Up um, and so on. And, and therefore, the the last time there was a vote, um, the, the executive of the Supporters Society, and I do feel that they, they abrogated their responsibilities here. They said, we are not going to advise you to vote one way or the other. And it turns out, I think it was around about 62% of people voted in favour, but you needed a two-thirds majority. Um, what they have now said is that they are going to recommend uh, a vote and any members of the executive um, of the Bury Football Club Supporters Society who do not want to, to recommend a vote, um, I think they're going to be persuaded to resign. So... There is now a chance of an amalgamation between the two organisations, and which effectively was a football club um, called AFC Berry, which was not playing at Gig Lane, and people who owned Gig Lane who didn't have a football club. Um, um, it, it's the it's the opportunity to, uh, to to come together, and uh, you know if if Martin McGuinness and Ian Paisley can do it <laughs> in in Northern Ireland, then sometimes other people can do it as well. Um, what you will find is, yes, there are differences. And there are, all, there are always differences. There's differences in all fan bases. But surely what is greater is a shared love of Berry Football Club. And uh, if if you can't set aside those differences, then then really you shouldn't be part of the whatever is going to be coming forward, going forwards. So I think this is potential fantastic news. Um, 
I'll I'll be delighted if if there is a club wearing you know what I consider to be the traditional berry colours, and I'm sure we, sure will be using the traditional berry colours, um, is able to to play football. Um, they will have a, a decent fan base, and this will help them to accelerate their way through the different divisions, ideally with a return to the EFL in due course, purely on merit, and, and that would be fantastic news. It, it, it would be, Kieran, because these are people, I know they've fallen out, some of them, uh, yeah, and we know from our social media that there are different points of view, but they're not not—they're not just united by a love of football at Bury. I imagine they're united by a love of the town at Bury as well, Kieran, and, and uh, a football club coming back at Gig Lane can only be good for the town of Bury economically, morally, and in terms of their civic pride, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. And it will give me an excuse to, to go back to Gig Lane and get some of the fantastic black pudding that you can buy from the, the market there as well, which uh, as, as somebody that lived in Manchester for 40 years and uh, always used to try to find an excuse to, to get some uh, will, will, be, will be excellent. Just black pudding with honey and quinoa or just normal, normal working class? <laughs> Organic, <people>. absolutely, yes. <laughs> um, we haven't been to Newcastle, Kieran, for a while and our final story brings us to St James's Park. And it's one of those stories that for people like me who have no uh, notion of how business works is one that's entirely baffling. <laughs> yes. Um, last week, uh, Newcastle United Football Club Limited issued um, one share to owners. Now, football clubs issuing shares to owners uh, is quite common, and, and there's around about 12 million shares in issue. What was slightly different here is that the shares got a face value of five pence but it was issued to a shareholder for 57 million pounds and you go what um yeah at the same time we had uh this week cambridge united had issued um 20 million i think it was 20 million shares for five pence each at five pence each uh, to raise um uh, to raise one million pounds, um, which which got Max Rochton uh, very excited, as you can imagine. Yes. Um, so people say, well, well, why is this? Um, and, and there must be some logic behind this. And the rationale that we have here is um, Newcastle United is owned eighty percent by the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund, ten percent by the Rubin Brothers, and ten percent by by Amanda Staveley. Um, and that's the way that they want to go forwards. The problem is, is that if you issue a lot of shares to all of the shareholders, it, it could mean that it could put financial challenges on, on some of them more than others. Um, if you just issue one share, you've still got 12 million shares in issue. And, and the thing about shares is that they're like they're a bit like baked beans in a can. You know, they're just identical as far as everybody's concerned. And and you you know, when you when you're looking at baked beans on toast, do you actually care which baked bean you have? There's no preference. They're seen as being homogenous. Um, and this is this is the case with shares. So one of the Newcastle United shareholders has paid £57 million. This has given the club additional cash. Um, I know some Newcastle fans are saying, well, £57 million, that's the equivalent of a James Madison. Um, and putting two and two together. I don't think that is the case, however. Um, Newcastle United did spend quite a lot of money in the um, 
in the January 22 transfer market. And um, we're about to have a knock on the door. Uh, and the dog's back. That's a wonky chomp to it. Okay. <laughs> I could see I could see the postman wandering up <laughs> sort of the rest of the road. He's getting closer and closer. Are we gonna finish the show beforehand? See a new postman because uh, from what I can gather, postmen in your road don't wander. They tend to rush in and rush out quickly like something from the nineteen seventies comic. Uh, Kira, it, elaborate for me uh, on that. And, and I'll say lesser pods would edit thinly barking out, but we we're we're above that sort of chicanery. We won't do that. Um, we won't we won't tamper with the truth like other pods do. So this this is quite is this standard business practice, Kieran? It it is in the sense because beforehand each share effect and the reason why it's called you a share is because it gives you a share of the football club. Each share gave you one twelve millionth of Newcastle United, and now following the issue of this one share, somebody has got one twelve million and month of Newcastle United. So, so it is a way for an individual shareholder to put a lot of money into the club without having to create a financial burden for the other shareholders. So I think it's it's a it's a smart piece of planning by the people involved. It gets cash into Newcastle. Um, it will enable them to to pay the payrolls for you know for, for March and April and so on. They will have had to go and pay some substantial amounts out of the club in in January twenty three in respect of the players that they bought twelve months ago, um, because you know as we know these days that transfers are very much on a uh, on, on the basis of um, uh, paying in instalments. So it's it's good for cash. It's good for preserving the balance between shareholders, and and I don't really see. Uh, a downside, although again, uh, in the court of public opinion that is social media, there are of course immediate allegations of uh, breaches of financial fair play, sports washing, and so on. Uh, which, in my view, none of which hold water. I, I'm just—I'm sorry to come back to this, Kieran, but it, I'm fascinated by it just in the way it works. So Cambridge, as we saw, and we love Max Ruston on this show, and he was very excited. So Cambridge issued all these shares. Uh, and the financial director says, so there's two, uh, two million, was it, Cambridge? Two million, so two million. Yeah, yeah. And and I think, well, do you know what? I like I like Cambridge, I like Max. Um, I'll buy, I'll, I'll offer to buy 100 of these. Uh, yeah. So I get I, I get those 100 shares. But for Newcastle United, the financial director, does he go, right, we're going to issue one new share, and he says to a particular person, we want you to buy it, or does it, it's just one new share, and then they... Hope somebody buys it. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, sure. I'm just slightly baffled as to how the face value of five p becomes fifty-seven million. Is that because several people wanted to buy it and there was a, uh, an auction, or because they identified a person to buy that share and they asked them to buy it for fifty-seven million? Right. I suspect what's happened here is the club 
uh, has said, right, we, we, we need to improve uh, our cash position. Um, we could do with a substantial investment. And then there are effectively three shareholders in the shape of PIF, Ruben Brothers and, and Amanda Stabley. Um, PIF have got more money than the rest of the planet put together. So um, they say, yeah, we're willing to put the money in. What, but what we don't want to do is that if if we were to issue yeah, 57 million shares times five pence, or, or, or yeah, 57 times five, yeah, that's what, uh, 335 million shares. That would mean that we would end up with you know, 95, 96% of Newcastle. So what we will do instead is that we will simply agree to buy one share for 57 million. We don't want to put the money in in the form of loans because, A, we don't want to burden the club with debt. And also, for anybody broadly familiar with Islamic finance, you know, the concept of, of lending money and charging interest is inconsistent. So um, it's, it's quite a, a neat solution. Normally, when a club issues shares, it issues them or it offers them in the proportion to which the uh, the current uh, split of the company is concerned, so let's say that uh, let's say that you know UI and, and producer guy we owned uh, price of football productions limited and producer guy had 50% and you and I had 25% and then producer guy comes along and says right we need to put another you know thousand pounds into the uh, into the company what we'll do is that he'll put in 50% and he'll get 50% of the shares. You and I put in 25%. So he put in 500, we put in 250 each. And that way we preserve our percentage ownership of of the company. Um, What Newcastle have done is because there's already 12 million shares in issue, if you issue one more share, it, it doesn't actually increase the proportion of Newcastle United that you own, but it does mean that the club has ended up with more cash. Right. Producer guy's not going to do that, is he? Just, uh, no. Just, all right, good. So I'm a bit short. This, I'm a bit short this week. That's good news. In fact, I'm willing to offer ten shares in Kevin Day PLC at five at five pence each. I will, I will accept anything up to ten thousand. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, then please go to Patreon.com/slash/PriceOfFootball. And if you have a question you'd like answered on the show. Email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thank you as always for uh, also for some of you that have actually given me the stories. Um, it, it is great that you, you contact us across a variety of methods, and also the nice things that you you, you do say about the show. Yeah, we we do uh, we do try our best to be as as even handed and as objective uh, in, in our comments. Um, there's a variety of ways in which you can support the show, and, and thank you to everybody from Patreon. It, it does it does make a difference. So we'll be honest there. Um, but another way is to go on to your app from which you uh, download your your podcasts and to give us a review. We're not quite sure how the algorithms work, but Producer Guy says it helps us in the charts. It helps us to book guests. Um, and, and the Mark Ives interview is is, is, uh, is, quirky, is, is very, very professional and uh, looks to me like a, a very safe pair of hands there as well. Um, it doesn't matter what you say as far as the app is concerned. You can even say you would rather have it presented by Wilfred Saha and Lewis Dunk to, to, to continue the representation of the rivalry, and it wouldn't make a blind difference to us.
I, I don't. Is, is Lewis Duncan a good talker? Because I think Wilf would have to be the straight man in that in that relationship. <laughs> That'd be great. Imagine that asking them to do a pod Thursday morning after what happens uh, tonight. Yes. Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football. Buy some football.